Welcome back to another week of Schizophrenic Reads, the podcast. This week, I am joined by the author of The Perfect Other, A Memoir of My Sister, Kylie Letty. Kylie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, This is a book about your sister living with schizophrenia, and I'm really excited to dive into those topics. But first, I'd love to know a little bit about you. Who are you? How'd you come to this book? And, you know, just anything you want to talk about, like with, with what you've been up to recently in the last year since the book's been out. Yeah, definitely. First of all, thank you for having me on this. I'm so excited. I'm a big fan of your podcast and your TikTok. So this is really exciting. I know you read a ton of books, so (laughs) it's a big honor to be chosen. So thank you. Of course. Um, But yeah, I am Kylie Luddy and I am the author of The Perfect Other, A Memoir of My Sister. The way that the book came to be was a little strange, but kind of very serendipitous in some ways. So I can start there. I was a senior in college at Boston College, and I was going to get my MSW the next year, uh, master's in social work at Columbia University to study psychology and clinical mental health. And I decided to apply to this writing contest, the New York Times, on a total whim. I'd always wanted to be a writer, but I never pursued it. I was so scared. I, I was so afraid of the rejection. So I like submitted, I think, two pieces of writing in my entire life before then. (laughs) <laughs> and um, my teacher encouraged me to submit this essay wrote for class to the um, modern love essay contest in the new york times and i did it i found out like on my sister's birthday week that i had won the contest which is the odds of doing that were like one percent it was like just, it, was, it was nuts and i was like what is this it means something and then i got um you know offers for book deals agents editors interested and it just kind of felt like this perfect storm of just feeling like I had to write this book. I had this opportunity, this platform. I had people's attention and I had something I wanted to say, which is kind of about my sister, what she went through and grief in general and just honoring her life as well. So that's how it came to be. And it's been a total whirlwind ever since then. Yeah, it's such a wild story. And I, it's so cool that you won this competition and, and got this book out into the world. Um, I'm really glad that I read it. Uh, it. It's something that I read a good amount of books on schizophrenia, and I don't. I don't always talk about some of them because you know sometimes it just gets a little personal. But yours is one of the few books that's written from a family member's perspective about another family member living with schizophrenia that I really enjoyed because I think a lot of them. I don't know. They take a really harsh approach to talking about schizophrenia, and I think you did it with like a lot of elegance and grace towards your sister. But also the story is kind of further complicated by the fact that your sister uh, disappeared about a decade ago. Uh, And so there's, when reading this book, there's kind of this like penultimate moment where you're like, oh, like there, there is kind of, you know, in some sense, no clean solution to the story. It just kind of, and I don't mean this in like a bad way towards the narrative, but it just kind of trails off and it's kind of like, well, now what? And I, I think that's just, it. it's a kind of a dazzling thing to read because it's that's not how most stories end. Um, in the years that, that it's been out now, um, has there been any updates to this, this story? I, I would guess not just based on how I read the book, but has there been any updates? Yeah. I So it's interesting too. I think one thing I forgot to mention, what we talked about earlier is just, I wrote this book when I was 22 years old 
which kind of inherently makes it an ongoing story. Yeah. <laughs> Writing a memoir at 22 is kind of a bad idea in some ways. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to be unwritten there. So it does kind of end at this certain point of me at this threshold where I, I wanted to end the book being like, I want to have the story continue on as like a healing journey. I wanted to feel like mm-hmm. I like kind of move on from it. And I will say, since the book actually came out and I've like, talked to people, I've talked to millions of people about it, not millions, but those like, <laughs> hundreds. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's been very healing. And I think it also has allowed me to like continue writing my own story separately from this and let it go. And um, in terms of like actually finding anything about my sister, we didn't. Um, in the book, I talk about how she disappeared on my 17th birthday. And she was seen walking the Benjamin Franklin Bridge and then not seen again on security video. So it was a lot of piecing things together, which which I think the whole book in general is kind of like almost like a true crime detective style in some ways. I'm just looking at our life being like, what happened? How did we get here? What's the science? What's the research? Who can I talk to about this? And then the bigger mystery of actually what happened that night. And I don't think we'll ever have full closure on it, Mm -hmm. but- I do think that the healing process of writing has given me personal closure and in some ways has made me feel closer to my sister in a lot of ways and and more at peace with just our relationship and everything. You were 24, right? When the book was like officially out in the world. Is that, that's, I I read that a couple of times online and I I didn't go super double check into your like birthday and publication. (laughs) Yeah. How, I mean, that has to be, kind of a mind fuck in some way to be 24 and have a memoir out in the world. Cause I think like, I mean, most people that read anything at all are like, yeah, 24 year olds shouldn't write memoirs, you know? So like, but you did. And I think you did a really great job. So I, I'm just curious, kind of like the uh, mental or emotional side of, of being so young and having, you know, having a book about your life out in the world. What was that like? Yeah. I would agree. I don't think that 24-year-olds, 22-year-olds should be writing about their lives. But I, I do. Um, and that's why the title was so important to me is I want it to be a memoir of my sister and not like yeah. a personal account of my life. So it was like, because I had narrowed it in like that, I felt a little better about it. But it's still, it's still weird because you need a certain amount of perspective and distance from events to really gain clarity. And this book in general is just extremely vulnerable. Sometimes mm. I can't even look at it sometimes. I'm like, oh, I can't live with that. <laughs> the world, I'm so embarrassed. And it was like, I felt like this, like, um, this desire to be very raw in it and like really talk about the hard stuff that I was struggling with in the hopes that it would help somebody else. But in doing that too, you know, I have to live the rest of my life with this out there. So I was also careful. I, I really didn't want, my main thing was like, do no harm. And mm-hmm. I didn't want a mean word written about anybody. I didn't want anyone to take offense to it. I didn't want it to do damage in the world. And that's also kind of impossible. And I know, like you said earlier about being a family member talking about this and not the person actually experiencing it. I was really conscious of that and kind of felt like I was like continuously failing just by my lack of perspective in a way. Like Mm -hmm. I want to tell like, this is what I went through what I can gather and what I can imagine she went through. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not my sister and I'm holding her story now. And I just and also having, you know, talking about an issue people don't talk about a lot of times. So it's like, it's like, yeah, how can you not do harm in that? And I was really happy when you said that, you know, you you were like, this is a story that from a family member that wasn't like reductive in any way to the narrative. Cause I, I was like really afraid of that. Um, 
I'm really trailing off now, but no, 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 it's fine. I well, I think one of the ways that you you connect it so well, and 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 you you talk about the mental illness is you did a good amount of research into schizophrenia. Uh, I think first I want to know, like, and we can get into kind of some of the more like how you researched and stuff. But was this something that because of your sister's diagnosis, had you researched kind of like growing up and you were just like really familiar with it, or was this something kind of after her disappearance that you were like? Oh shit! I gotta understand what what really was happening because you do a good amount of getting into like the psychology and the science and and some of the social issues surrounding schizophrenia, which I, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, it's very, uh, you know, personal. But yeah, I I loved those portions of the book and I I found those really insightful. So was this something that you had kind of like your perspective had always been in that zone, or if it's or was this like really once you geared up to write and tell the story, was that really brought in? There were definitely conversations growing up around this stuff, just by nature of us trying to deal with it in the moment. But I also, I was a kid, so I, I think I thought I was more involved than I was, or I thought I was mm. more informed than I was. But when I actually sat down to write the book, it was so much just like discovering things about the past now, this like retroactive discovery that felt kind of heartbreaking because there's so many things I felt like we had done wrong or looking at the research. And I was even like, um, digging up like my sister's medications. My mom kept like her old pill bottles and looking at prescriptions she was on, looking at side effects and like what she might've been feeling. And it was like, I, I say sometimes, I think that writing the book was harder than living through it because I was like discovering this stuff actively. And I wanted to include the research. I wanted to like, cause, I, cause at the end of the day, I wanted this book to help and I wanted to be like, like, here's some science behind it. Here's what I can find. But then in doing that too, I was thinking like, okay, what could we have done better? What could we have helped my sister with more? Or could yeah. have been something that, you know, would have worked with her, you know, all those, all that stuff that's so, so heartbreaking because you're just thinking like all that regret comes up. So I would say most of my research was done in the book process and that was the hardest parts. And it also kind of led to me have like more conversations with my mom about it. And there's healing in that too. Just like having those frank conversations that we didn't have a chance to have. But yeah, yeah. The research was really important to me and I wanted to kind of be woven in a way that wasn't overpowering, but kind of kept supporting the narrative and kept like, you know, having evidence to show what was actually going on. When it came to the familial research, uh, was this something that you, you, when you just like set out to, did you like formally interview your family members and specifically your mom? And uh, I'm curious, did you pull uh, your sister's medical records to just get even more details on her life and, you know, her, especially her medical kind of, uh, her medical life, I suppose, in some sense, like kind of what, 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 what went into telling the, the very personal side of this story? Yeah, in terms of medical records, her doctor wouldn't release much to me, I asked. So it was just kind of gathering what we had already. Mm. But my mom was the biggest help in all that because she was the one who was dealing with the day-to-day -day with her. And she was one who was in every appointment and holding her hand through everything. When I actually got the book deal offer, I wanted to have my mom write it with me to be us together doing it. Because I didn't, again, I, I'm 22 years old. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell am I going to say? So I really wanted her to be there, but she was like, no, this is your story. Like, tell your side, tell the sister's side, mm. I'll help you with it. And she did. She she helped me like actually line up dates and stuff and looking at things like that and and find these records of like when Kate had dropped out of college, for example, and then her next hospitalization was like a month later. And yeah. you know, all that and you're, and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is so immediate. 
um, a lot of it too was talking about my sister's traumatic brain injury and, and the head trauma. And then if you, I kind of like had like papers I lined up and I'm looking at like what was happening in her life. And then you see that and it's like, okay, here's the diary entry from that time that she wrote, or this is that. And it's like, wow, like now I can see what, it's more cause and effect. Well, I think in the moment when I'm living through it, it's just chaos. It's just this like mm-hmm. feeling of like, you know, survival and, and trying to help her, but you don't see the, the connections until after the fact. Yeah, no, I mean, even like looking back over my own life, I'm I'm trying to work on a book uh, about schizophrenia in my life and kind of how it relates to society and stuff right now. But like looking back at the like the turbulence of my early 20s living with this illness, like it it's very apparent just even in my memories of the time without even like, you know, mapping out dates and, and getting like very specific things into it. Like it was chaos. And that's a, a it's a hard thing to write because I think like in normal investigations, you can just like plot out the dates and, you know, there's, you know, it follows a kind of trajectory. But with schizophrenia, it's ultimately like this illness that just creates its own havoc in life and in the lives of the people surrounding them. Um, so how how was it like when you when you wrote this story, like, I guess in some sense, re-experiencing that chaos through your narrative, through writing, but also through research, and then your memories of that time period. Like, how did those, I guess really, like, how were those feelings different? Because certainly at the time you would have been feeling something and then writing maybe something else. Like, how did those, how do those align for you? And and maybe even how do they align for you now, like now after this book's been out and you've had talks about it and the whole project? I'm just curious, you know, how, how are you still processing it and how are you processing it at the time? Yeah. First off, I'm so excited for your book. <laughs> <That sounds> <laughs> Thank you. Oh I'll talk really about that later more, but that sounds so <laughs> I think anyone who is like, you're obviously a very empathetic, thoughtful person, just based on how you interview people. So I just think it's going to be pretty amazing. I'm just- <laughs> Thank you. But anyway. Um, yeah, I think I was surprised by how much I was embodying it when I was writing. Mm. Like I was, it was my first year out of college. I was living in Midtown in New York. And I remember just feeling so like, like physically tense and like, it's like this trauma was resurfacing my body in these weird ways where I'd, I'd go to like a crowded bar or something and be like, I have to get out of here. Like I'm like claustrophobic. If, if one person touches me, I'm going to like freak out. And yeah. those weird moments were like, or like even like my lymph nodes would be swollen because I felt like so stressed out and all the stuff that I went through as a kid when I was going through that trauma and that stress actively, it showed back up my body. And I think that just kind of re I guess showed me how much we we carry this stuff in our bodies our mental health and and our thoughts and our stress and our experiences and now I look back on the process of writing the book I'm 26 now so I have like four years of distance from actually the writing process and I look back at it the way I look back at going through as a kid where I'm like I don't know how I did that (laughs) I'm like (laughs) wow that's a blur like I don't remember some of it it doesn't even seem like it was real. I think we all do that in some ways, like looking back at COVID, for example, when we're in lockdown, like no one really talks about how traumatic that was as like a, you know, universal experience we all had, where it's like, oh yeah, we were just locked in our houses for like months <laughs> doing, you know, like all those things you kind of, when you're going through, you just kind of like your brain protects you in some way or something and, and the memories get more hazy. And I think that's how my body processes trauma. And I also think it makes me 
probably not the best memoirist in some ways because <laughs> memories are not distinct. I, I kind of rely on having records of stuff because otherwise I'm like, I need that jolt to my brain to really understand what happened. Um, going forward now though, I think just being able to talk about it with people and like, you know, get on stage and do a speech or do a book um, presentation or a book signing or, you know, do a podcast interview. I think talking about it again, again, has almost been like therapy in a sense, because mm. you're just learning how to process it in a healthier way. So in that sense, I think it's been really great. But yeah, the process of actually writing the book was a lot. Pretty, pretty difficult. It, yeah, I imagine, I imagine that. Well, and it's, uh, you know, with writing, you know, there's a lot of memoirs writing about, you know, like travel, and you can like kind of you know, live vicarious through your your younger self of, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, re-experiencing mentally, like, you know, traveling around the world. But with a trauma memoir like you've written, uh, it is, you you have to, like, kind of force yourself into re-experiencing those difficulties. And I, I think you did it very bravely. I want to get into the parts of the book uh, where you focus more on schizophrenia as it is a... Um, as an illness, and you talk about kind of, uh, you know, some of the relationships with schizophrenia and violence and schizophrenia in uh, the police state. And, you know, you talk about it more as, you know, a social issue and not so much as a personal issue. What was researching those portions of the book like? I mean, that's, um, you were, were you were a psychology student, right? Like, uh, right beforehand. So you probably had, you know, at least some guidance into, you know, where to start with, you know, what books to read and stuff like that. But what was getting into that research like for you? Yeah. So I, I was a psychology student undergrad and I also held a bunch of therapy roles. So I've worked in group homes for people with schizophrenia. I've worked in homeless shelters. Um, I've done like work with refugees and forced migrants. And then when I was, um, after the book was finished writing it, but still in the editing process, I went back to school at Columbia for my MSW in the end. So I deferred that one year, but I did go back. So that was really important to me because I also wanted to make the experience, like expand it from the personal to the universal mm -hmm. and talk about like, this is a problem that we faced, but people face it in different ways. Some people, you know, like I was trying to think about different ways, cultures approach it and stuff too. And like in some cultures, like, it's like a very holy experience to be having hallucinations and people are looking for that. And then you're that you're a wise man or there's that side. And there's people who, you know, are just like left in the fringe of society. And I talked a lot about police violence too, especially because of the privileges my sister had and our family had. I mean, that to me is like so striking. Cause we had police at our house. I don't know, like three times a week because my sister was acting in a violent way. And she was scaring us or she was threatening us. And then we'd have police show up and, you know, the police were de-escalating the situation. They, they weren't, no one was going to shoot her. She was a 22 year old, like white, pretty girl from the suburbs. And yeah. you know, that, that situation does not go that way when someone's acting like that and, you know, and they're black or they have a target in their back or they're in a neighborhood where, you know, their people aren't really, you know, having those resources. So I think that to me was huge. And, um, I think it's just like, I think it showed us kind of, it's so sad to say, but like in some ways, like we were lucky in those situation, obviously we lost my sister. So, you know, that's unfortunate, but there's a lot of ways that we were lucky that we had so many resources and that my mom was always looking for something and, and we were trying so hard and we had people support us. Um, 
So I think that also just like that process of researching and trying to take outside of myself made me more energized to write the books on like, this is a serious systemic issue people are not talking about and not treating with compassion, empathy, or nuance. Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, it's just going to get worse unless people start being brave and talking about it. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to turn the conversation into something horrible, but in my life with schizophrenia, being a public advocate, oh. doing public speaking and, you know, having a platform online where I talk about schizophrenia, there's always inevitably someone that thinks it's fake or someone that thinks, you know, I'm doing it for clout or money, which is, you know, the most hilarious, you know, just completely vacant ideas. Um, I'm curious if you've had any kind of harassment or, you know, whether it's personal towards you or towards your sister or or even about the book, you know, like, have have you dealt with any of those things? Because there is such a, I think, a violent and whether it's verbal or physical violence towards in the stigma of schizophrenia, that it's always directed in the most unnecessary ways at people. So I'm curious if you've had, I guess, any interactions with like the stigma of even just talking about schizophrenia, of writing about it. And I, I, you know, if, if it's too tough to talk about, um, that's totally fine. But I am just curious if that's been something you've had to experience because of this. Yeah, definitely a little bit for sure. I was really scared going into it that I was opening my family up to something, um, that was scary. And I think for me, I was kind of like, I am willing to take that stance. I'm willing to go up there and like talk about this and take that risk. But I don't want anyone coming after my mom or my dad or, you know, harassing like my sister's old Facebook pages or, you know, I was like, I just don't want, it's, it's one thing to put yourself in that line of fire and then putting someone else there is really scary. So I was very aware of that. And I haven't had a terrible reaction. I, I, um, early on the book came out it was in galley form. So it was like not totally copy edited, but it was like being sent to people as an early read. And I had like, the, I think my first, like my worst ever like reviews on Goodreads and stuff came in the first like week. <laughs> I don't oh, no. know what that was. <laughs> I just remember reading them and I got like two one-star reviews and they were just like ripping into me. And one was like saying these lies. I don't know what that person was going through. I think that reviewer I've looked at before has had like history of commenting a lot of memoirs, especially about mental mm. health. So I probably someone struggling with something themselves, but they were just like, Kylie killed her sister. Like she's the worst. Oh, wow. That kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh. And like, it's just like those kind of things where you're like, oh, someone took this like so in a, in a such a terrible direction. It's like heartbreaking, but also, yeah, I think that that's when I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. And then the book came out. Mm. It was not that response at all. <laughs> so I was like, I think my initial one was really scared. Then it got better. Uh, <laughs> but like you said earlier, I think in terms of saying like, this is real and this is what someone is struggling with and this is the science behind it. That's why the research is so important to me. And, and I almost felt bad sometimes. Like, why do I have to explain this in a way to be like, this is like the neurological reaction or this is that. But it's like, I'm like, trying to get proof so people don't do that, which is a shame. Yeah. No, I think, I think that... There's almost like this inherent defense mode that you have to go into when you talk about like mental health and specifically schizophrenia. Just, I mean, I know that very personally of like, y you got to know your facts in order to like defend yourself from the public. And I, I mean, I I'm 30 now. I I've lived with this illness for over a decade of my life. And it's, it's kind of come to a point where I just don't respond to these types of, you know, allegations of faking it or allegations of, you know, that I'm abusing my partner or those types of things where people are just 
vicious about the, I think, the stigma that they just inherently place on schizophrenia. It, it's a wild phenomenon that I think, uh, you know, I think you're, I, th- <laughs> I think your book does a really good job at talking about, like, the stigma that people with schizophrenia face. Uh, but I do want to talk about we there is definitely sections of your book that talk about violence and you do a good job of like prefacing it of like people should understand that violence and schizophrenia is a really complex issue and that most people with schizophrenia are more more likely victims of violence than they are like perpetuators of violence um but part of your story or part of your sister's story especially is there is violence in it and i'm just curious how did you approach writing that and how did you like how did you kind of think about telling that to the world because that i i mean that has to be you know in some sense like a really emotional decision to like disclose you know probably you know in some sense like family secrets and stuff out into the world and you know through a book that's gonna be on bookshelves for a while yeah definitely i think also, when you were talking, I also forgot to add that a big part too with me and like the stigma and everything was I think people often like blame families and they're like, something must have happened. People look for a reason mm. to accept that this couldn't happen to them. So I think they're like, oh, that like, you know, maybe that we were abusing her or something. That's what happened. I think I was yeah. really scared of opening up that can of worms as well and being like, this could happen to anybody. This is just something that happens. Sometimes it is trauma-based. That's that's absolutely true. And sometimes it just happens and like. I think that's something that um, was really scary as well. But in terms of talking about the violence, that was a huge debate for me. Yeah. That goes back to the do no harm thing. Because I just was like, I don't want anyone thinking like people with schizophrenia are violent because that's so not true. And like, I threw a bunch of statistics to be like, before you get this section, like just know that this is like a total <laughs> anomaly. And like, maybe it was just my sister's personality or maybe it was a head trauma or who the hell knows like what was actually happening but that's not the norm. And anyway, I really wanted to get that across. And, but even saying that still, I was like, I'm talking to my sister who I love so much and who cannot defend herself either. She's yeah. of not with us. So she can't say, oh, I was acting this way because of that or actually this. So I was like, how do I talk about this respectfully? Because it is a part of the story. And it's a part of why taking care of her was so difficult for our family because it was really scary at times. And because it, I say a line there too, where I say like, it's really hard to take care of someone when they are suffering and also inflicting suffering onto you. And with my sister, that was a very violent physical suffering. But, you know, I was like, I, she can't defend herself. This might do more harm by saying this. And I was just so afraid. And I think, I think it was a good decision in the end. I think it was the honest one. And, and I was like, I have to tell the truth at the end of the day. I don't want to hide anything. But I just wish there was like a disclaimer on the whole brand of the book, just being like, this is, this is not how it is. Like, do not take this away. This is, this is the personal part of the story. That's like a micro, you know, facet. This is not the, this is not the population. Um, yeah. I've worked in like settings too, with people in group homes who are, have schizophrenia and they're all women, they're seventies, sixties, and they were just the most gentle people in the whole world. And I'm like, I just don't want anyone bringing that to take that away. So Anyway, it was a big debate. It's still something that I'm like really trying to be conscious of when I talk about it um, in general, just feel like this, you know, I don't want anyone walking away taking that negative stance. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's not even just like, it's a complex issue that like deserves, you know, time to explain and really like get in depth. But I think it's also a thing that people have like a gut reaction to, like they, they want to just 
like, inherently believe that schizophrenics are violent. You know, like, it comes with these presuppositions that just cloud the entire conversation. And, and so it often takes these little prefaces, both on how we talked about it in this podcast, but how you t- approach it in the book is, like, you kind of have to do that or else the other side with their, like, just, I think, distrust for any kind of schizophrenic topic is just going to take any notion of violence and just run with it. What has it been like, you know, I have you read any books on schizophrenia in like the last year or so, like, or, or since this book has come out or since the, you know, the writing has been done, um, have you read any schizophrenia books and, and how are you kind of processing those while having written a book about, you know, about schizophrenia? So I actually have not read any nonfiction <laughs> since I, <laughs> sure. okay. I read only nonfiction for the, the three years I was writing. And then now I've read only fiction. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't recommend my TikTok page. Just (laughs) stay clear that just avoid that at all costs. No, I think for me, I was like, just writing it down. I've like tried, I've kind of avoided in some ways. I'm so afraid of like having regrets or, or looking at more research and thinking I should have included that or Mm. just all those ways you're like, oh man, like it's, it's such an ongoing conversation and there's so much to be said and analyzed and just not being able to edit it kind of kills me. So I've just been avoiding it, which is probably not good, but. Yeah. Was there any part of the research process that like, you know, whether it was some like scientific thing about, you know, neurology or maybe a social issue that helped you like, or maybe like almost like an epiphany, like just helped you understand your sister's life even better. Or maybe it was, you know, other memoirs that you read or something like that. But did your sister's, you know, I guess even internal life just come more present during like the research process and kind of what was that like for you? Definitely. I think I, in some way, in the more personal sense of it, I talk about my sister as like, to me, she was my idol. She was this like glamorous, hilarious, fun, older sister. She's was six years older than me. And she just, to me was like, she hung the moon. I thought she could do no wrong. And I looked up to her so much. And I think writing the book, I have that little sister lens all the time with her being like, almost like an ownership in a weird way. Like, oh, I know my sister so well, or this kind of thing. And then um, I had a friend of hers, like reach out to me at the end of the book and, and talk about like his own experiences with her, or, like just like funny little things. Like, oh, like when he's, I talk about the very end of the book, some of this, but like when he's, um, you know, walking down the street and a pole separates him and a friend and they get separated, he has to kiss something blue out of superstition. That's something my sister passed on to me, like just weird little quirks like that, that I'm like, oh, other people are like carrying her with them still. And, Mm. you know, as a friend or like all these things that she was to other people that I can't see because I was just her little sister. I think that has been really striking to me. And I also think um, I wrote this book when I was 22 and I turned 23 when I was finishing writing it and my sister passed away at 22. So there is this weird process where I felt like I was. I was actually out aging my sister. I was, I was going past where she had gone. And as someone who had looked up to her my entire life as like this blueprint of just measuring myself alongside of her, what was she doing in sixth grade or what did she wear the first day of her seventh grade classes, all those stuff like that, this little sister, like adulation, then to have it be like, it's ending. And now the book is actually closed. I'm done writing about it. Also now I have to like go forward in my life in this, and you know, rest of my life, all the stuff she didn't get to do or didn't get to experience. Or, you know, I look at my, my friend's sisters, for example, who have a big age gap and, and you're little, it feels like a lot, like six years does, but next, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like not like, I think about now, I'm like, right. 
if like I was 24 and my sister was 30, like that's so close in age. So I think in like a more, I guess, sentimental sense, the process of finishing the book and being like, oh, I'm now going onto like this new path that she has not gone to has been like kind of spiritual and, you know, sad, but also bittersweet because I just, I carry her with me all the time still. Yeah. I'm also curious, the, the, the story ends and this is spoilers, but you know, nonfiction, I don't believe in spoilers for nonfiction, but <laughs> your sister disappears and, you know, it obviously seems very apparent that it was it was suicide and that the, the story just kind of uh, or, or your sister's story just doesn't have just a clean conclusion if i if i'm trying to like phrase it correctly yeah. but you know typically with suicide there's just you know there's a there's a body like it's the, the the person's life is over it's concluded uh with your sister's disappearance there isn't that i think finality and i think in the book you talk a little bit about you know like there was you know, some level of hope that you would find her or something like that. But, you know, you, you were mostly looking for a body at that point, but, and, and not having that come to terms, it, it breaks away from like the, the typical story of, I think of, of death and, um, in a weird way, I, and I, cause I think it's good. Like your book doesn't like super focus very heavily on like suicide and disappearances and stuff like that. Um, because it could have been very easily bogged down in a whole other flurry of research projects, you know, with that. But, um, you know, how how was it just, like, approaching writing the end of the story? And I don't know if you wrote that first or last or whatever, but approaching a story that doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a clean end, if that makes sense. Like, you know, how did how did you mentally kind of give yourself, like, a, okay, we can end the book here kind of moment, I suppose. Yeah. I, it's so funny. I actually, I wrote the last chapter of the book in this desk I'm sitting at now, which is my roommate's room. <laughs> she was away. <laughs> and she keeps it really nice. <laughs> so I came in here to write. And it was like, um, I remember being like, it was like a summer storm outside. And like the whole process of writing, so much of it had been this uphill battle and just feeling like, how do I write this? You know, I'm, it's like, things weren't always flowing. You have good days, bad days. And then I wrote the last chapter just in like one just single sitting, just like, it just mm -hmm. got me and it just felt like such a conclusion. And I like wrote the last word. And I was like, I just felt this piece of being like, this is it. This is done. Mm. That's really the only part of the book that came easy to me. And it's the only part I read from if I do reading. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why it's the only part I like really. I can stand behind. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I think not having closure, not having a physical body, not having a funeral, not having all these things made this book more important in some ways. Like I wanted to honor her life and be like, this is, I don't, we don't get to have a funeral. We don't get to honor mm -hmm. that sense. So here's something else where I can say like, this is Kate, this is what she went through. Like this is our love for her and end it there. But I don't know. I have, I have one chapter in the ending book too, where I have like this, like last moment of false hope when I'm almost done writing the book. And I went back and added that chapter in because I went to a friend's apartment building in New York and I was looking at their call sheet um, on the front door where you can buzz in. And the name of the apartment said Caitlin Letty. And it was spelled in the exact same way my sister spelled her name. It was like, I, I never see that name anywhere. And my blood just like ran cold. And I was like, what is this? And it haunted me. I actually left and I was researching like, 
is that name popular? And I couldn't find anyone in New York with that name. I found people in the whole country with that name. And I ended up having to go back to that apartment just to like appease myself because I couldn't yeah. and knock on the door and talk to this woman who the same name as my sister and make sure it wasn't her. So I think that was me saying like, right by this chapter, I, I wanted to say kind of like, okay, this is like the last chance, last hope I felt. And then I, and then it's kind of like putting it to rest. But at the same time also, like, it's so hard to not have that hope. And I, and I still, sometimes I'm like, what if I walk down the street and I see my sister? Like there's like, it's so illogical knowing what happened, but because there's no proof, it's just, it, yeah. you always kind of feel that way. And I think it's important without having, um, without having a natural closure, just give yourself closure. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I think this process has given me. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a really beautiful sentiment. And um, yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, when it's come to, you talked about this is really the only portion of the book that you like to do at readings. I, I'm just curious how book readings have gone for you and, and kind of, um, you know, how I think just generally like the reception has been and uh, you know, I imagine, and maybe this is like a bit of narcissism, but you know, when my book comes out, I imagine there'll be like family members of people with schizophrenia reading books and, you know, like it'll mean something to someone, you know, at some point. And, you know, how, how is those interacting with readers and interacting with people like in person at readings, you know, how has that gone for you? Like, has that been a, a rewarding part of this process? Because I think, you know, this book is different than a lot of, you know, a lot of memoirs are, are written as a form of, I think, like artistic expression. And that's not to say your book isn't artistic, but your book, it feels a lot more like processing an issue than it is just like, hey, I've got a cool story to tell. It's like, no, no, I like, I, I think there's a selfishness part of your book that it's like you actually, you wanted to devote the time to, to just thinking about it and processing it and stuff. So, you know, that being part of the book, how has it been just like talking to people about it in the world and stuff? Yeah, I was really intimidated to do stuff like that. I'm a naturally pretty shy person. And my sister was the one who was like really outgoing and, you know, was better at those kind of things. So I think it's <laughs> kind of funny in some ways, or I guess sentimental or sweet in some ways, think about like for helping me through this part because it's not natural for me. Um, I kind of try to like pull from her bravery and be like, okay, hey, like what would Kate do? Like she could do this, like she's pushing you. And, you know, I think for me, a lot of the, Again, because I am pretty spiritual, I think a lot of the um, interactions I've had with people who have read the book have just made it feel so worth it. Because, like you said, it's it's a lot of it's a heavy book. It's a lot of processing. It's a it's a work in progress. I don't have tidy endings. I don't really have answers. <laughs> it's <one> thing, <laughs> just me being like, I don't know, but can we talk about this? Yeah, I just want to just, like have conversations, and I think the book has done that. I think just being able to go on podcasts that don't usually talk about schizophrenia they might talk about mental health but you know anxiety depression they won't talk about more severe mental illnesses and like actually just talking about having and having those conversations has just really made me feel like it, it was worth it and because it was it was a very painful process like I don't like I I would not wish anyone to do that like it was really it almost like killed me writing the book but knowing that like I've actually helped people and that people have related to Kate through it or the people got to know Kate more or just thinking about her and that she's being honored. The cover mm-hmm. of the book is actually a photo of her from an old modeling shoot she did. And it was mm-hmm. one of her favorite photos of herself. So I really pushed for that to be in the cover. Cause I was like, if nothing else, like Kate, who was, who really wanted to be this like famous model or actress or something like that. She now is in bookstores and her face is right there. 
And that's I'm, really cool. And I've, and I have those like strange coincidences that come up. I think you'll probably experience that too. And like you meet someone, they're like, oh, I had the same exact thing happen to me. And you're like, but mm-hmm. no, this is a pretty distinct story. It's like, it's like kind of weird that people who are put in your path just show you um, that you're not alone in it. So that part has been amazing. And that's the part that makes me just feel like it was all worth it. How has it been the reception? Because I mean, you were just, you basically just, you had just finished college and then this book, you know, within a short while comes out in the world. So I imagine at this point in your life, if I just follow the normal trajectory of college students, you probably had a lot of, you know, 22, 23, 24 year old friends at the time. You know, how was, <laughs> I think maybe just like the weirdness of you having a book out in the world for just your your college friends that are, you know, still, I think, you know, probably struggling through a, you know, landing a job that pays more than, you know, $15 an hour or something, you know, like, and you're like, oh, I've, yeah, I'm doing a book tour now. Like, what was, what was this? I think I just, the disparity of, of young age in this kind of story. What was, what was that like with your friends? It was really weird, honestly, as <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you just, you know, you get it. But it was, it was odd. I think it's, um, I think obviously people's immediate reaction, like we talked about when someone's like, oh, I wrote a book at this age. They're like, why? (laughs) (laughs) So it was like that stigma behind it, but also just being so vulnerable and so young Mm -hmm. and being like, I am living with this now. And I wanted to write this essay. I haven't written it yet. I haven't published it. I wrote it. Um, I wanted to actually do it in modern love again, but they rejected me. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I wanted to say like writing an essay about like dating with a memoir out because I was single for most mm. of the years um I'm dating my boyfriend now for like a year but before that the whole process of writing and publishing and going on tour was all me single in my 20s with this incredibly vulnerable book that anyone can just google <laughs> and buy like yeah yeah it was like oh my gosh like someone can just read your life story on a second date like it's so scary so I would set this boundary and be like okay and I first said, like, I wrote a book, it's a memoir, and you actually can't read it. <laughs> until, oh, good. Okay. Until, I think that's like, do you didn't have, did you have a profile pic or like one of your Tinder pictures or whatever with you holding the book? Like, was that, or <laughs> were you just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna approach this subject until, you know, like later on? I think I did have one. I think I had, um, <laughs> I, think I had one of like all the stacks of books around me. Yeah. And I remember someone commented and was like, these look like pizza boxes. And I was like, okay, what the hell is this? But that's less vulnerable, you know, like <laughs> if that's, I guess that's a pro. Yeah, but it, it's weird. So even now, like I've been dating my boyfriend for like a year, like I said, and he hasn't finished the book yet. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, can you just finish it? Cause I, <laughs> um, Did, uh, do you like walk around the house and he's got, you know, like uh, sticky notes or something in it, or he's taking notes on, on your work. So I'm like, I, I've told him like, you cannot read this in front of me. Cause I just, <laughs> and you also can't read the audiobook version because it's just my voice. And I'm like, I haven't mm. listened to it. I'm like, oh my gosh, don't do it. So because of that, we're like always together, which means he has no time to read it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think it's sometimes I get really scared still and I feel weird about it. And the fact that this is all out there and I, I have those moments of being like, what did I do? Um, but then I'm like, I just, I believe in vulnerability. And I really do think that the more honest we are and the more we talk about these difficult conversations and subjects and, and really sharing our like hearts with each other, it, you know, we, it's, it's worth it. I think the end yeah. result is worth it. And I think I believe that so much that even when I get scared, I have to remind myself, like, what am I scared of? Am I scared of stigma? Am I scared of somebody like judging me? All those things. I'm like, I don't believe that should be happening. So I should 
fight against it. And my way of fighting against that is by being vulnerable and putting it out there. So I am an open book these days, quite literally. <laughs> you are you are an open book. You have a book. Uh, you were also added. Uh, was this is this correct? You were on Forbes, one of the thirty under thirty lists. Yes. Um, yeah. What was and the reason I'm really asking this because I was I was labeled in Men's Health magazine, you know, recently as their like top sixty influencers. And there is a moment where you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then there's a moment where you're like, why is this happening? Like, this isn't real. Like, why are we? What are we doing? Uh, so I'm I am curious what it what like the accolades that you have received, and especially, you know, the Forbes list. But I don't know if you've been on any other like influencer type lists or author type lists, and you know, what is, what is that, like, the mental state of, of having, you know, those, you know, accolades under your name? I think I don't, like, I don't want to want the validation, but then when you get it, you're like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> it's so worth it. Um, but I think a lot of this process has been, too, just that I wanted to be a writer so bad since I was little, and I mm. told my sister about that, we talked about it all the time, and one of her last texts to me is about that, like, and I, and I never pursued it, and I think this, like, was this incredible chance for me to kind of start my writing career. And I, and I, you know, I get kind of like, you get kind of numb to it sometimes. I think I'm sure you feel that way. If you look at your follower account and you're like, Oh, it doesn't feel like real people watching me. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Not real. No, I have, I have a real thing in my head, like constantly being like, you know, I'll see like, you know, I've got a hundred thousand here, a hundred thousand there or whatever. And it's like, I have to remind myself, like, there's probably like, there's like 5,000 of those people that are, are, are totally not real or 10,000 that are not real. They're bots. And there's a lot of people like just percentage wise, there's a lot of people that just hit accident, like follow by accident. Like they, they don't know who I am or care. Like you just got to kind of like, I think, uh, <laughs> calm yourself down from any bit of like self-congratulations on any of those no. accounts. No, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. <laughs> little, yeah. Little Joan Didion quote for you. No, but I think, um, I think you kind of have to be like dissociate from it sometimes to be like, this yeah. is so strange. Like I'm out there, like my, even with you, like you're, my face is out there. People are watching it. People are, you know, engaging with this stuff. And sometimes I have to like take a step back and be like, well, you know, the, or the bar keeps moving too. You keep thinking like, I have my first book now. And I'm like, I want my second book deal. I want to get that. Mm-hmm. I'm like working really hard on that every day. And it's like, it just keeps moving. So you never get to like celebrate it. So in some ways, I think those little moments of actually getting in a, on like an award list or, being recognized in some way, you can just like take the chance to be like, like my childhood self would have dreamed of that. It's like, it's amazing. Like even like see my name, for me, print is the biggest thing. So like I've been published in the New York Times twice now and I just see my name like in the New York Times. I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's my name. <laughs> mm. And and try to like take it in and fully process it because it's so easy just to skate by it and not appreciate how far you've come. Yeah. No, I think that's really cool. Okay, so I know it's a little taboo to talk about, you know, upcoming future literary projects. You know, a lot of people don't like to talk about it. But I am curious, you're kind of working on something. You don't have to get into specifics if you don't want to. That's totally fine. I am curious, though, if it's fiction or nonfiction. I know you, you're probably more of a fiction reader, but uh, I think you definitely have a, a really good nonfiction voice in the way that you both do like personal narrative, but also talking about the research aspects of it. So the like the personal and the non-personal portions of nonfiction. So if you're going to be writing in the future and, and kind of creating yourself a career as an author, do you envision that as telling more nonfiction stories or do you, do you want to get into novel writing in the future? So I've been writing novel right now. It's fiction. So I honestly, I found it to be such a relief. 
I love writing so much. I'm someone who like, I like to actually sit on my computer and, and be there and like work all day. That to me is like the getting that flow state and being there is such a privilege. So I'm like, now that's not such a heavy topic. I'm like, oh, this is like just fun. <laughs> you can like enjoy points. it for a second. Yeah. Like there are hard points. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I forgot how fun writing could be. So my next book, it's, it talks about mental health and it's, it's a mother daughter story, which is like obviously a big part of my life. My mom is my best friend, but it's, it's so much lighter. And I think that's really fun for me right now, but I see myself kind of switching back and forth. Mm. My like ideal, you know, literary career is to be a Danny Shapiro type where she does like nonfiction, fiction, nonfiction, nonfiction. Uh, that's my that's my secret that I'm not going to tell anyone in the world <laughs> about is that I actually I, I really do plan on some point, you know, even though I'm like all nonfiction, I do really plan to write a fiction book at some point. And people are like, I don't I don't think they're going to see it coming. And, yeah. uh, you know, and maybe only like the people that listen to this podcast now. But, you know, <laughs> like it is a weird thing because I think there are different approaches to writing. I mean, like writing nonfiction and writing fiction I think, you know, writing fiction, you can, you can daydream, you can, you can really like let yourself like envision the story. And I think there's a lot and not that fiction writing doesn't take a lot of like rigidity and, you know, the actual craft itself, but like with nonfiction, it's, it it can get just absolutely consuming with the research portions of it. So I am curious, uh, this is, uh, really just a, a por a portion of just like personal fascination with it but if there was just like one tidbit about schizophrenia that you learned that really just like kind of got stuck in your head like something that uh that you just came across in your research project that you just you you think about a lot or like still think about you know years after this book's been out like I'm just curious if you've got a statistic or a fact or just like some, you know, social kind of explanation for schizophrenia that you just, you think about a lot. Yeah. I think, um, I talk about two things in my book. I talk about, um, this book called the angel and the assassin, which talks about more of like an autoimmune response being the cause of schizophrenia. So like brain swelling, encephalitis and all that research. And that's really new. I think that's fascinating to me. Also, because of my sister's traumatic brain injury, I've done a ton of research on just head traumas in general. And mm. that research really sticks with me. Um, I talk about an article in the book, too, that's um, it's a New York Times article, and a doctor compares 111 NFL, um, former NFL players' brains who had CTE, and it's like 110 of them had CTE. So out of 111, mm. 110 has CTE. Yeah. Like if you look at like the actual like, you know, signs of that and like the how it shows up the symptoms, it's a lot of times aggression and it's like, you know, sometimes you have anxiety, depression, you can lose memory loss, you can have schizophrenia. It's just like I think for me, when I think about this issue, I tell myself and I tell other people that I think about schizophrenia as like cancer. And there's so many ways you can get cancer. You can be a smoker and you can just smoke a ton and you get cancer, or you can be, you know, exposed to something as a kid, or it could be that you just have a gene in you and it just develops that age. And there's just all these different ways you can do it. So I think like, I don't want to be like, there's just, I, for me, when I was writing the book, I wanted to find this like one thing that was going to be like, this is what happened. This is what it is. And so we cure yeah. it. And I just don't think it's like that. But in the end of the day, I do think a lot of it could be traced back in some ways to encephalitis and brain swelling. And that's an area that I think is really interesting to further research. 
No, that's so fascinating because I'm doing my own research at this point. And, you know, I'm reading books that have so many different variations on, on like what they suppose for, you know, how schizophrenia comes to be or like what causes it. And, you know, there's there's trauma. There's also emotional trauma. There's also just a a portion of people out there that just like don't believe it exists in any form, you know, which is like a really wild approach. And like this is everyone should know this is not medical advice. This is not we're not giving the answers, but it is really fascinating because I, I think some of like the medical approaches to it are like we think it's done and solved like we think the story of schizophrenia has already been written and, and stuff like that but we'll, like the more you learn the more you realize like it's a thing that we are just now breaking the surface of and I find that to be is a really compelling thing uh, to think about but also like to set out to write about it it's like oh god like I'm you know I'm now just adding another voice into this you know like whole pantheon of people that have these ideas and theories and some and most of them are you know more expert you know in some degree wise than me so it's a really fascinating thing to get into because uh i think a lot of people yeah i think a lot of people think it's you know we know exactly how it's caused and what what it does and stuff and that's just not that's not really the story um so that is that is fascinating that that was also something for you that you've kind of. You need your book though. <laughs> That's so important. I think yeah. Like it's on, it's almost like it's, it's a public service in some ways, I think. Like, <laughs> Hopefully I can get as uh, good of blurbs as you got. You got uh, the author of the great pretender and brain on fire. Uh, is it Sarah Callahan? I don't know how that, how it's yeah, pronounced. It's Susanna Cahillan. I thought it was Callahan. Then I had to record the audiobook, and it's Cahillan. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I read Brain on Fire. I mean, it's a phenomenally well-selling book that's also really well-written and stuff. And, uh, you know, did you approach, uh, is it Suzanne, right? Did you approach her for a blurb for the book? Or was this something that, like, just came, you know, through, you know, an agent or whatever? Like, because that's huge. Like, that's, a you know, probably one of the most well-known, you know, mental health writers out there. You know, (laughs) what was that for you? So my editor edited her book, too. So that's why. Okay. Was my editor. One of the reasons I chose my editor was I was like, okay, I trust that she has put out books like this in the past. She gets, she knows what she knows what she's doing. She's gonna be delicate about it. She's gonna be responsible, I guess, in telling the story. So that was a big reason why I signed with her. Then when the time came for a blurb, she sent it to her and she gave me that lovely blurb. And it's actually one that I remember, I remember just like the way she phrased it, it was just like she's she kind of just like gathered everything I wanted to get out there and she just like said <laughs> it. I was like, I feel so seen. I was actually in Levain Cookies in like the West Village. I remember my friends for some reason. And I got that email and I read the blurb and I just started crying. So I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> um, so that was huge. But yeah, the blurb process, it's it's a nutty one. So when the time yeah. comes for you, let me know. And I, I Well, I've just now started to get hit up for my own, like for blurbing oh, other yeah. books. And I'm like, this is this is not real. Like this is a wild <laughs> phenomenon. So when I get out to go get blurbs for my book, like I... I'm already thinking about it and I'm like already nauseous just because it's it's such a weird, weird, weird process, especially for first time authors. But um, I think the final question that I have and the final question that I always have is what have you been reading and what have you been loving, uh, you know, or or if there's books from your research process that you really loved, just give us some book recommendations. I think we all want to know what what has really piqued your interest. Yeah. Well, I said it before when I was writing the book, I was reading all nonfiction and my like Bible for it really was, which is cliche, but I'm going to say anyway, because I stand by it, was The Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. I think that is like the most perfect grief book that's 
ever been written. I think she's like, you know, she's just an incredible author and writer, but that book to me was like reading it the first time I remember feeling like, oh, I feel so seen and I've never felt this way by anything. Mm. When I had, when I was writing the book, I always had like that in my bag with me. I had Brain on Fire with me as well. That was a big one. Um, but now that I am not reading nonfiction anymore, <laughs> I am escaping from my life. I just finished The Guest by Emma Klein. Oh yeah. And it is so well written. Like <laughs> I, because I feel like I get torn between like a book has like amazing prose, but the plot doesn't grab me or vice versa. And this has both. And I was like, every sentence was like so beautiful, but then I also wanted to get over with it. I wanted to get the next sentence. I was like, you know, just like consuming it really fast. But that to me is like the best like summer escapist read. If you're like me right now and you just can't. Do not. <laughs> <laughs> you just can't. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you online? Thank you for having me. This was amazing. Um, my Instagram is Kylie Letty and my website is Kylie Letty. <laughs> it's all the same with that. And TikTok is also, I think, Kylie Letty. Maybe it's Letty. <laughs> Similar. It's streamlined. I love that. That's great. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Everyone, you should check out The Perfect Other, a memoir of my sister. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another week of Schizophrenic Reads, the podcast. I want to let you know this podcast is edited by Tone Support. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information on Tone Support. And if you would like to support this podcast, you can do so on Patreon. I'm at patreon.com schizoreads. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.